0: Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twitch. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by CashFly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Twitch, this week in Computer Hardware, episode 116, recorded April 21st, 2011. Storage. Lots of storage. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Computer Hardware. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout. Now, Patrick Norton is out gallivanting around, camping with the family, doing fun stuff like that. So I roped in a different person to co-host with me today. Everybody say hello to Alan Malventano. Hi, Alan. How are, how are you? you? Hey, how's it going? Uh, many of you probably know Alan from his uh, day job working for PC Perspective, maybe on the PC Perspective podcast. Uh, and it turns out, in terms of news and stuff like that going on, we've actually got a lot in the storage world, so it kind of fits in. It's good, uh, good to have you here. Thanks for, thanks for filling in in Patrick's shoes for us. Absolutely all right Um, a a couple of quick things to get to one a a graphics card release occurred I feel like we have to talk about it otherwise the world will end if we don't talk about a new GPU every week Um, that is the Radeon These these are budget cards Uh, HD 6670 and HD 6570. They're relatively small cards. I mean, you can see here, this doesn't look like any of the type of behemoths that you might've seen before. Uh, But this is more likely the card that you'll find in a computer that you buy at Best Buy or Micro Center or Fry's that has built-in graphics, discrete graphics. You're talking about something about this performance level, this type of market segment. Now, both of these new cards are priced under 100 bucks which means uh, one of them is $99 and one of them is $79. Uh, and they're and they're pretty good cards for um, for that price range, you know, the performance is marginally better than the 5600 and 5500 series cards at which they are replacing. You still have support for three graphics outputs. These reference cards actually have a VGA, a full-size display port and a DVI connection, dual link DVI. Although uh, the cards that you get in retail are are going to vary from that. And actually the the 6670 actually supports four displays. So if you happen to find one with a dual slot configuration, there's a good shot that you'll see maybe two DVI and two display port on there or two DVI uh, and an HDMI and a display port, something like that. So keep an eye out for those. If you want to find like the lowest cost solution to getting three, maybe even four displays on your PC uh, out of a single card, this, these, these could be the option for that. Um, the, the, Performance-wise, you know, the only quick comment I guess I'll make here about this is that they're not gonna they're not gonna storm the barns in terms of gaming performance. Don't expect them to for again for $99 and $79. Um, their comp- their competition in the AMD and NVIDIA realm is kind of screwing things up a little bit for these cards because what we're seeing now are cards like the GeForce GTS 450. This is a Galaxy Edition. It's slightly overclocked. But you can pick this up for under 100 bucks on sale sometimes. And the same thing goes for the Radeon HD 5770. And those cards are previous generation technology. But in terms of just raw gaming performance, uh, they are going to be better than the 6670, for example. Now, there's different caveats along to go with, to go with that. Of course, the GTS 450 only supports two displays. Uh, depending on what you want to do with it, I don't think iFinity Gaming is really an option for cards of this performance level. But if you're if you're building a home theater PC, if you are stuck on integrated graphics, someone in your family is stuck on integrated graphics, and you know they they just picked up a copy of Portal 2, just as an example, right? I was able to play Portal 2 at 19 by 12 on the 6670 card, you know, without. With Not everything turned up all the way, and again, we have a a pretty fast processor and our GPU test rig, but this was able to handle that game. Portal 2, definitely not uh, stressful on your hardware. Uh, Ken, our video editor guy, just has an older MacBook that's using a 9400M integrated graphics, and he was able to run that game as well, but had to lower a lot of the image quality settings and stuff like that. So, you know, these cards are going to be upgrades For integrated graphics solutions, they're not going to replace anybody that's got a discrete solution already, more than likely. It would be good for a home theater PC, though, like I'm saying. So if you got multiple outputs, one to a monitor, one to a TV, you know, these cards can completely handle that. Um, So if you're if you are in the market for that sub $100 graphics card, probably not for your primary gaming machine. You you can go check those out. The full review is on the PC Perspective website, of course, where we've got all the benchmarks and analysis and that kind of stuff. All the clock speeds and speeds and feeds, if you want that type of information. For those people who are curious, the GPUs behind these new cards are the, uh, the BART's architecture, the 6800 series of cards. This is a, I think, what did I say? This has 480 stream processors as compared to the 1800, 1600 of the other cards as well. So... That's our graphics card news for the day. Um, I guess, Alan, while we've got you here, let's jump into storage-based stuff. There's uh, quite a bit of it out here. The first was um, was this. Would you consider this a merger of two companies, Seagate and Samsung, or just a merger of their kind of like storage facilities or storage segments of their companies? What exactly happened here, and does it really kind of affect the consumer? It's hard to tell exactly
1: where this is going to go. I just consider it a, a merger because really, if they're working okay. together, it's, it's just a matter of time before they come out, maybe come out with some kind of joint project or product, who knows at this point. Um, but for now, we do have the announcement that says, look, these two companies are in fact working together from now on and you know, trading IP back and forth. Um, so what we're looking at is uh, Seagate and Samsung. Uh, both of them are now working together. So that's one side of the uh, storage arena, if you will, now as opposed to it being sort of in, in, <laughs> in uh, you know, was sort of like in roughly thirds with like a little sliver of a fourth uh, right. snuck in there. Um, right. So, so now you've got um, Seagate and Samsung and let's see what percentages that makes them out to be. Seagate and Samsung together ends up being 40% of the market. So <laughs> that's a little bit of a bigger number there as opposed to much smaller fractions that were competing against Western Digital which was which is True. uh forty eight percent so that's that's good that's actually sort of good for competition, although I will say that there isn't exactly like a price war or people having to undercut people right for for hard drive storage <laughs> no. right because because these days you see uh, two and three terabyte drives that are you know cents per gigabyte that they're they're trying to compete performance wise against solid state, which is really coming on strong, especially in the last few months um so, yeah, it's, it's just really... You see all these, uh, all these companies just sort of joining forces, I think, really, just to help try to compete against the inevitable, which is eventually, you know, years from now, we're going to see probably almost everything solid-state. Uh, that's just my hunch, because the right. process shrinks and whatnot. Um, so, 48% Western Digital, 40% now for this little dynamic duo that got created.
0: Um, they pretty much had to do it, it seems like, in order to compete. Western Digital... Um just seems so dominant in the market at this point in terms of market share. Right. Uh, it was, it was almost like something that, that needed to happen. And, and I don't, right. I don't think it's a negative for the consumer. Do you?
1: Uh, no, I, I don't think so at all. Um, but again, since there's really not much price war going on, I don't see it as much, you know, a, a, a good or a bad really for the consumer. Okay. It just seems like these companies just need to do this to stay afloat. Really. Um, given, you know, what's going on in the market and, and shifts that, that tend to be happening. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that, there we have it. Um, all we could do really there is just watch and, and see what what comes out of it. Um, the one right. thing to consider that's, that's actually pretty good out of this is Samsung is really strong in the SSD market, so mm-hmm. you have a potential for them to somehow merge with Seagate, maybe make some kind of hybrid, some kind of caching drive, something you know something good might come out of that um, with uh, you know some Samsung parts snuck into some Seagate hardware possibly right. And, but we won't know until we see something materialize.
0: Let's talk about something else uh, that we've seen kind of creeping around in the news of different websites and that kind of stuff. I don't think we've actually posted anything at the PC Perspective site, but it's interesting to look at nonetheless. Uh, It kind of falls more on the business side of things than necessarily the hardware side of things. But I think it put a lot of questions and doubts into people's minds. Uh, it's, It's about a company that both you and I are very familiar with, we've used a lot of their products, we've tested and talked about a lot of their products, and that's OCZ. Um, Right. If, again, a little bit of inside baseball, in the last couple of days, their stock has gone down on something of the order of 30% in the matter of, you know, an hour or so. Uh, And there was a lot of, you know, in the financial world, that's a big deal. For consumers, they're not really worried about what the company's value is or anything like that. They're really not interested in what the stock markets are and that kind of thing. But they are worried about if the company that they buy their products from is potentially going out of business. That the product uh, that they have has a warranty. That they like those products and they just don't want them to leave the market. Uh, one of the things we say is Ocz definitely pushes the SSD market forward and pushes these other guys along to in, to invest and to uh, iterate at a faster pace. Right. So, Alan, so Alan sent me notice of this what what was going on and there were there were like two kind of there was. Uh, a report that was put out, I guess, by right.
1: um, some. It was it was picked up. See, here's the thing: just the fact that there was a report that came out is one thing, but the fact that it was picked up by this website, uh, Seeking Alpha, which, uh, from what I understand, is a pretty good website for investors, read it and they mm-hmm. that's where they get some of their gouge. It's almost like the Slashdot of, you know, investing, gotcha. right? Um, so they picked up a, uh, a paper, twenty-three page, really just ripping and scathing piece uh, from Copperfield Research. And they pretty much did like everything they could to just rip OCZ a new one. I mean, it's really, I I read through the thing and it was just, wow, it's, there's some really nasty stuff in there. Um, And here's the thing though, I, as a storage reviewer who has looked at like every single product that is named as like what they're competing against, like they mentioned Fusion IO, they mentioned other, other solid state uh, vendors and other solid state technology uh, companies and, and innovators and whatnot. Um, and I have a luxury of knowing really how all these products work when, when pushed to the limits. And I can say that at least some of that report is just way out there. I mean, they're, they're talking about stuff where as if Ocz is uh, just trying to be as if, like as if they were Fusion IO and trying to pretend to be that Mm-hmm. That sort of thing, it's almost like they're being like a as it like poser kind of stuff right. just really, really weird. It was even hard to read through the wording. it was so scathing is like so well, some of it seemed
0: pretty them. pretty childish it, um it really was it really we was. didn't really and, understand um, the industry uh, and 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 this is more again it, it's it's kind of a financial issue here, but it was the 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 comp- the guy who posted this report also said. Uh, that he had to disclose that he had short sales on OCZ stock, which without going all detail means he makes money as the OCZ stock goes down. And I don't understand how you can see that and not immediately yeah. go, mm, okay, maybe there's
1: something, this, something It, it wouldn't there. even It wouldn't even have been as bad if he would have disclosed, hey, I happen to own OCZ stock. Right. right? But he, if he comes out, he says he's shorting them. Right. Then... Okay, it's like here's my paper that will make me money by, you know, by doing this, by because I'm going to sell this yeah. and then I'm going to go buy it when it's cheaper, and that's exactly what the stock did too, right? Because that report came that out a lot. and and they were up like eight percent, like early. I th- I think this is all today, as a matter of fact. So they were up mm. eight early in the morning, and then <laughs> they dipped thirty seven percent, and they rebounded like uh, they got like fifty percent of that back almost immediately. But that's just that's almost like market manipulation with a report, right? Because as soon as the guy knows the thing gets picked up, between right. that and actually reading the report, and I'm not really trying to just flat out defend anybody here, Ocz or anybody, sure. right? Um, right, because it is possible that there, you know, there could be one or two points out of that thing that that are legitimate, but that we won't know and. and there's probably, someone's probably going to look at it based on this report, I would imagine.
0: Well, he, um, they said he sent it to the SEC to investigate on OCZ. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do some of that on him as well. Based right, on the fact he, that he had shorts and stuff like that. So Yeah,
1: because that that kind of a scathing thing. I mean, if I, if I was a nasty market manipulator type and wanted to pull something like that off, that's how I would write that thing. Just the way, yeah. you know. Um, but just sort of touching on why I think a lot of it is just really fud that that was just being generated was the way that they're they're wording it. They are not realize it's, it's as if they a had really not much of a grasp on the solid state market just in general, right? Hmm. And uh, and b the big revenues that OZZ is pulling in, they're pulling in because most of their uh, products are are tailored more towards consumer. They're going for like the volume, right? The big chunk right. of the market. The guys that are just building their PCs and not necessarily only enthusiasts, right? Because they they have other lines of SSDs now that are tailored towards OEMs that they're trying to, you know, that have, that have actually been selling. And the bulk of Ocz sales, believe it or not, even though they tailor and they have these lines that are all pushed towards consumer, the bulk of their actual like net income is coming from enterprise sales, from like their their um, uh, SandForce equipped SSDs, that sort of thing. So. Their margins are much better there, but at the same time, they have the whole consumer push, right? And anybody that's looked at their product lines, they have like any possible choice under the sun that you want to go for. You know, they have they have drives that right. have they have drives with lower cost flash memory. They're like, hey, this might not be as reliable. It's a cheaper flash. It's you know, it might be a little bit uh, less on performance, but it's there. Sure, right. So they have they have all these options. Um, it's almost like the Malcolm Gladwell thing on the, his TED Talk on spaghetti sauce, right? If you have a bunch of different kinds of spaghetti sauce, you sell a whole bunch more as opposed to just one choice. Oh, right, right, right. Same, same exact thing, just with solid state, right? And, and they're actually pulling it off as evidenced by the fact that they're on the stock market. Their stock has been doing well for a considerable amount of time now. Um, yeah. And and the one thing that really caught me and, and sort of rubbed me wrong there was that comparison with Fusion IO, because... OCC has a product that competes pretty well with an IO drive, um, and we're talking like the Revo, like Revo X2, those drives. And the important thing that I always hammer on that is the OCC solution is bootable, and Fusion IO has been promising just to be able to boot from this from their product for like on the order of four years now, and have and have yet to pull nice. it off. Right. So there's there's like a critical feature for not necessarily enterprise, because enterprise is just going to, they're going to use it for a database and they're booting off of something else. But I'm sure there's a lot of enterprise that would like to be able to boot off of a much faster product that costs several thousand dollars. Um, Oh, yeah. Whereas whereas you can just spend less than a thousand dollars on an OCZ solution that's in the ballpark on performance or at least pretty close and is bootable, right? So, yeah, just simple apples to apples comparison there where the article just got it completely 180 out. Just on on those yeah. points
0: I, I think I think the takeaway here though is if you're a consumer and you're using OCC products I wouldn't be worried about it uh, we got an official statement from OCC OCC that is basically like yeah we don't comment on rumors and speculation here's a here's a link to a couple of reports that were put out by other anal- uh, industry analysts that say different things so I, I wouldn't worry about any of this yet I I think it's I don't I don't think we're gonna be a problem uh, another thing that doesn't seem to be a uh, doesn't seem to be a problem is the health of the PC industry as a whole. There's a good little story over here at Tech Report uh, talking about Intel CEO Paul Adelini talking with Forbes magazine, doing a big long interview there. Um, uh, that basically they're saying that the PC industry is booming thanks in part to corporations phasing out Windows XP and buying Windows 7 machines and a strong uptick in emerging markets like China, Brazil, and India. Uh, he did mention that. This was, this was well above what industry analysts thought the market was going to do. I mean, they talked about they almost made $3 billion in profits that quarter. Apple made over $6 billion in profit last quarter, I think. And both of those beat industry projections by quite a bit. And it seems that um, Intel has made a habit of this. They said in 2009, Intel predicted PC unit growth in the high teens for 2010. Analysts reported 5 to 6% is what they were going to expect in that market and in the real number it actually ended up turning up to be 17%. So sometimes, you know, these, these industry experts, these analysts, the guys we were kind of talking about in the last story, don't really have all the facts. Whereas you, when you're in the manufacturing standpoint, when you're actually doing the day to day selling and that type of stuff, um, you can see a lot more of that information. So that's good news for anybody that, um, thinks that Intel or Intel or AMD or any of these companies like Nvidia are included in that too are somehow slowing down their progression of technology they're somehow slowing down development that's definitely not the case um, there's huge markets and they're still growing with which they can sell to and market to so that's that's definitely good news as well and and to follow on that uh, just mm-hmm. a quick note um, that pretty much means that
1: with that much of a gross income for intel they they're almost not even touched by the whole recall that they had to do, you know the whole uh, oh right Sandy Bridge chipset issue, right? So with so much growth, it's like oh okay, you know we spent you know we spent a a mill or a bill uh, on that thing, but uh, that's okay, no big deal.
0: Yeah, it'd be nice if you could do that, right? If we had that capability, wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't eh. yeah? Eh, eh. eh. just it's pocket change. You know, one of the things that might be helping Intel out in this is that there's a report from Digitimes that says Intel is ready to release the Z68 chipset in the first half of next month. The first half of May, it says uh, Gigabyte is likely to be the first major motherboard maker to launch Z68-based products as soon as the embargo inspires. I would expect MSI and ASUS to be on that day as well. I don't know why the story necessarily thinks um, Gigabyte somehow going to be on top there. Um, they have reportedly been informed that Intel will focus more on its Z and H series chipsets with the P67 series motherboards uh, beginning to be phased out as even the future next generation chipsets will not have P series branded products. So I know we get a lot of questions um, here at twitch about when's a good time to upgrade my system what, what about p67 what do i want to send in my p67 get it replaced if, if these reports are right and, and within the first half of may we're talking about less than 30 days then before you'll start to see z68 motherboards and z68 motherboards are going to have all kinds of additional features the ability to utilize your integrated graphics and discrete graphics at the same time uh use that lucid virtue software that's the- huge we've been talking about they have the ssd caching technology um which we'll hopefully have a whole lot more on later around the first half of may perhaps if the story is to be believed um and so that's that's pretty cool and that's kind of it's I, I know what a lot of people are thinking that people who bought in sandy bridge earlier are like man i bought this p67 motherboard and now this new option is going to come out that's going to have all these other features i feel kind of like i got duped and it's hard not to feel that way considering the product launched january 8th and it is now April... Well, it's been four-plus four months now. It's that's, that's not totally unreasonable, and it will be past five months by the time this launch happens, according to this DigiTime story. So not too bad, I guess, uh, in that regard. But, but what, it, it actually,
1: in, on the opposition to that point, though, yeah. if you're feeling duped on that, there were an awful lot of rumors, like when, when everything first came out, that, okay, there's going to be P-series and there's going to be H-series, but you can only use integrated video on H-series. And so everybody just sort of put that, you know, connected the dots there. And there were even rumors to the effect of Z-series or potentially Z-series boards coming out soon, right? And those were pretty early, like, uh, as the as the products were shipping. So right. you sort of, you know, if you were able to hold, hold out for another few more months, then you were good. And honestly, if you didn't, it's just a motherboard, right? If you already bought the, you know, the K-series CPU that's got sure. the GPU on there, you're still good. You're golden, just... Just swap them on the motherboard, throw the other one on eBay, call it a day. Boom, done.
0: Uh, let's see. We've got a, one more little bit of news here. This is you know, more of a visual representation. We always talk about PC gaming here and how it might be falling behind uh, because of console dominance, like that, that type of thing. If you look, we just talked about Portal 2 being able to play it on a GeForce GT430 with most of those types of settings maxed out. Um, keep in mind there are other games out there that are going to stress your hardware if you feel the need that you want to buy a $500 graphics card. Um, there is a video that I, that will be linked here in the show notes and that hopefully we'll be showing here in the video uh, portion pretty soon of Battlefield 3, which is – I forget when that's actually due out. Sometime this year, DX11 build. Um, go check out this video uh, if if you look on YouTube, let's see if I can find the actual title of it. So anybody who's listening, just look for Battlefield Three Full Length Fault Line Gameplay Trailer, and uh, it's pretty impressive visually. There's a lot of cool uh, gameplay elements that you get to see in this type of stuff. Just always want to remind PC gamers because that's such a heavy source of our of our of our listenership and readership uh, is that you know there are still titles that are coming out that are going to that are going to push your hardware, um, that are going to push your graphics card, that are really going to show improvement over console games. And I think uh, we will start to see that more and more, probably over the rest of this year, as game developers are finally realizing what they're leaving behind by sticking with the consoles, and as we get closer and closer to that inevitable bump in uh, console specs as well. Once those developers get word of that, they'll start increasing what their what their games are doing today. Um, so yeah, uh, real quick, before we get in, we're, we'll take a break to thank today's sponsor, and then we'll get into some of your Twitter and email questions, uh, a handful of which are obviously storage related based on our on our guest co-host. Uh, but I will also implore people to go check out the new pcper.com site as uh, kind of a plug here for our own benefit, uh, completely redone if you haven't if you haven't been there PCper Uh Some of the news and reviews that we talk about on this Week in computer hardware are mentioned and discussed further there as well. But before we move on, we'll take a quick second to thank today's episode sponsor. That would be Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes uh, instantly on your TV, your Mac, uh, your PC, uh, through your Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, Wii, anything like that. They deliver them directly to your home. Saves you time, money, and hassle. No driving to the store. Uh, You don't have to go to Redbox even, which is, you know, Redbox got rid of the person at the, movie, uh, at the movie rental place, and now you can get rid of the red box unit itself by sitting at home and using these different streaming technologies. There are thousands of TV episodes and movies, like I mentioned, on the PC, Mac, and all kinds of Netflix-ready devices. Plus, you can still get those DVDs by mail in on about one business day, which, depending on the selection, you might still do both of. You get some streaming, you get some DVDs. I know my wife likes to go back and forth and use different ones. You know, if some movies aren't available on that, she'll get them on DVD, but she always prefer the streaming. It's just because it's instant. You don't have to wait for anything. It's always good. Um, now, one of the things, you know, we're supposed to make a pick here and make a suggestion of what you could use Netflix streaming for. I think we've gone through uh, toy story. Three was last week. So the week before that this week, I found one right on the front page. As soon as I went to there uh, to Netflix. And I think Alan will probably enjoy this one as well. And this is the twilight zone original series. Were you ever a fan of those?
1: Oh, absolutely! It's, absolutely,
0: it—it's it, a how would you describe the, like the show? Because there was it was a mix of like humor and like supernatural and like space aliens. It was, it was you know, each show it's, was its its own individual story.
1: Here's what's, here's what I found cool about the Twilight Zone series, the original one. Uh, just over the years, right? Because when I was watching it growing up, it was really cool for all those aspects you just mentioned, you know. But and, and, right. and then as I got a little older, I realized, wait, there's some like really cool actors. Like it's almost like you're taking a trip down memory lane because you see like really uh, big actors that they were bringing in there that at the time, you know they were just sort of like everybody was used to them. But now right. it's like you know I mean there was there's one there's one episode that had William Shatner in it, right? That people yes, may not that know, is a famous right?
0: episode. Yeah, because of that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. It's, um,
0: yeah, if, if you one the of the our stories younger... were
1: really good, right? The stories were always really yeah. good. The episodes were yeah. really the, you know mind bending kind of episodes, and that was that's that series was actually. You know, if you think about it, it's the origin of a lot of the modern day series are just really just sort of rehashes of that. Like Fringe is sort X of like Files. Twilight Zone with just a longer arching plot,
0: right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. So they have us on instant streaming, which is which is pretty awesome. So if you're one of our uh, younger viewers or listeners and you've never seen Twilight Zone, don't be put off because it's going to be, you know, it's Old actors, a lot of it's in black and white. I don't know if these were like colorized or anything like that. They might or might not have been, but they're They're really, really worth watching. Um, so you can watch this, this TV series or choose from thousands of TV episodes or other movies when you register for the free trial membership at netflix.com slash twit, T-W-I-T. So if you sign up for your free trial, netflix.com slash twit, give that one a shot or any other of their available streaming videos or DVDs to your house in about a day. We thank Netflix for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware. Now let's get on to some uh, reader input questions, that type of thing. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way is to send us an email, twitch at twit.tv. That's T-W-I-C-H at twit.tv. Or you can follow uh, at Ryan Shrout, at Patrick Norton, and of course at... Malventano? Is that just, is just Malventano? That's it. On Twitter? At there you go. Easy to do. Let's see. Uh, the first one here comes from Jeju Kevin, who asks, will SATA 6G 7200 RPM hard drives be just as fast through a PCI add-on card than through an onboard controller?
1: That has a complicated answer. It all depends on what PCI add-on card you're using. Right. Um, and Here's what's weird about that, okay? Because if you're talking about a spinning disk, typically it's not going to go any faster on 6 gigabit versus 3 gigabit because the disk is just, you just can't get that bandwidth off of it. The only time you do actually see any kind of a gain is when you're just reading from things that happen to be in the cache, which when you consider hard drives in terabyte size these days versus a 16 or 32 megabyte cache, if you are getting that faster speed, you're not getting it for long, right? Because whatever it was, it's, it's... it's over the bus in in a fraction of a second and and the cache is empty. Um, so probably 99% of the case is three gigabit or six gigabit spinning disc performance is identical. However, uh, there's some chips that we have seen perform more poorly than your native on, on uh, motherboard type of solution. And, uh, in my experience has been Marvell, unfortunately. um, so, and granted, my testing has only been with onboard, like it was actually built into the motherboard, but it really is no different logically. If you have an add on board that happens to have a Marvell chip on it, it's still going to do the same thing. Uh, it you know, works the same. Um, best place to look if you actually want to see what that difference was. Um, back when the Caviar Black uh, one terabyte model came out, we did a review on that, and that was the Western Digital's first six gigabit per second serial ATA drive. Right. Yeah. And I tested it on both. I did it on ICH 10 and I did it on a Marvell with, you know, with whatever the most current drivers were at the time. Which, and I've even checked it a little more recently and they're not really that much better. So whatever it was, they haven't worked around it. But you'll see, um, I forget if it was read or write performance. It was, it was one or the other, I think. Uh, like sequential took like a five or 10% drop. Just unexplained, huh. right? Um, it didn't make any sense. Uh, and the iOS per second performance was actually a little worse on Marvel as well, just because, well, you're taking another hop, you're going across PCI bus, whereas ICH10, that controller is much more integrated with the chipset and it has a much faster, uh, much faster pipe to talk to the re- to talk to the CPU and the rest of the system. Um, so your latency is just much much lower yeah. on the yeah. on the onboard solution. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, in my experience, it's, it, it, if you have an Intel board. Any Intel baseboard, don't bother, regardless of if the thing came with, you know, Jmicron, Marvell, all these other add-on controllers. You see uh, right. Asus and everybody else, they, they love tacking those things on because users look for more features when they're, you know... More tickets. SATA ports, higher numbers. It's, exactly. It's a, it's a higher number thing, but it's really even worse than the megapixel race for cameras when it comes to how many of those ports <laughs> well, there's, are. there's oh, wait, still these,
0: something, too. Once you, if you fill up six SATA ports on your board, it's always nice to have more if you want to add your optical drives or if you do have another hard drive that you want to use or something like that, some eSATA adapter perhaps. I mean, There's, some use, there's still some use there, uh, but I think for the majority of users, six SATA ports is going to be plenty.
1: Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's actually very handy um, on, that, on that respect for like a JMicron or a Marvell if it happens to be the controller that's giving you your eSATA port. Out of the back of the board, right? Because right. because in, the Intel ICH solutions are not intended to supply that eSATA port, so the motherboard manufacturers tap it off from the other chip. Nice.
0: All right, let's take another question here from Dino Kadich, who wants to know another storage question. He just got an Intel 320 SSD. Is there anything I should do to optimize performance on the software side in Windows? So the Intel 320 is this the uh, this is the new? updated SATA 3 gig per second drive that just came out? Correct. That's
1: the uh, 25 nanometer flash,
0: 10 channel, the
1: same, uh, you know, an actual Intel controller solution. Right. It's not like the uh, 510, I believe, that they switched over and they used the, you know, the other chip, which my opinion was a mistake. So this is them going back to their own chip. Yes, it's only serial ATA 3 gigabit. It actually outmaneuvers Intel's own 6 gigabit solution in almost every respect except for just straight line speed, which is not as important as the rest of the stuff, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, for optimizing it, uh, best thing you could do in Windows, A, use Windows 7, so you're using Trim. Drives sure. you much happier. Um, B, if you can help it, don't use it in a raid. And if you just bought it that one, you probably just bought one. It'll perform just fine all by itself. You don't really need two of them. Um, and C, there's a, there's a software tool uh, I think you could just do like intel.com slash go slash SSD or just slash SSD, I believe. Right. Um, and uh, just download their tool. They have a software solution that runs under Windows. It's like an SSD optimizer kind of tool. Uh, I think it's just called SSD Toolbox from Intel. And it has uh, the new the newest version of the toolbox actually does a lot of that for you. Like uh, if you disable prefetch, those sorts of things that you usually see in forum posts from power users uh, doing like registry tweaks and whatnot. The Intel tool has incorporated many of those into itself. So the first time you run it, it'll say, hey, I see you, you're using an Intel 320 SSD. Would you like to do the following things? And it just gives you the laundry list. And all you basically do is hit OK. And then you might have to reboot, but sure. you know, no, big, no big deal. This um, seems pretty and, simple. And, and yeah, that made it extremely painless, extremely simple. That's the easiest way to go, especially with an Intel one. Realize that tool doesn't support any other brand, right? So it's, it's just Intel specific.
0: Okay, you want to uh, take out this next question? Sure.
1: Uh, let's see. From IT crashed. That's cute. Uh, at Ryan Shrout, have the GTX nine or 590 VRM issues been fixed? Is upgraded from a 5870 to a 590 worth it for triple monitor gaming?
0: Um, okay, so this guy's going from a 5870. He wants to go from 5870 to 590. The VRM issues, I assume he's talking about um, kind of the internet Explosion that happened when I, as far as I know, maybe a couple of the GTX 590s had an issue with a specific beta driver. That I don't know how, I don't, I really don't understand how it happened, but it apparently blew up, sparks flew, etc. etc. Um, that's always bad, of course. I haven't seen that, I haven't had any first person experience with it. All the editors and reviewers that I've talked with, nobody has uh, had any issues with that. Um, so I'd imagine if this hasn't continued to have been a problem and that the pressure hasn't built up, you know, so that there's big revolts and stuff online as, as seems to happen whenever there's any kind of small issue, uh, that they have been fixed. I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, as for upgrading from a 5870 to 590, Is it worth it for triple monitor gaming? I would say you are coming to one of the few instances where going to this expensive of a graphics card, this high end of a graphics card, is actually going to be worth it. If you have... if I'm assuming on a 5870, you already have a three-monitor configuration, then you are definitely going to see performance improvements going from that to a 590, which supports three monitors out of a single card. Um, You're moving from iFinity to NVIDIA Surround, but the idea is exactly the same. Set up the driver... You know, the games will automatically recognize it and that type of thing. So um, uh, is it worth it? It really comes down to how much money you're willing to spend. If you're considering buying a GTX 590 anyway, chances are you are the type of gamer that will enjoy the performance increases and the image quality and resolute, possible resolution increases you'll be able to get out of that card. So I, uh, I would recommend that you go for it. Let's see. we got a, We got emails here now from Darren about a storage area network. He says, uh, first love in the show. Keep up the good work. Uh, Have to say the show is informative and addictive to geeks like me. Okay. As a freelance video editor for broadcast and a supervisor, I've always worked in bigger facilities where the network and storage side of things is taken care of, but I've just landed a contract where I will be setting up and managing a small SAN. The requirements are that there will be at most four video editors attached to the SAN via gigabit ethernet. They will all be accessing a pool of relatively low bandwidth video files. Based on my initial research, based on my initial research, this is a pretty basic entry level SAN setup. I have noticed that there are a lot of out of the box SAN setups from the likes of Netgear, D-Link, etc. With SAN becoming a much more viable option for small business, for small business, and maybe eventually the everyday user, I thought it might be helpful if you could point me in the direction of some SAN hardware or pre built SAN solutions that you guys know of. Uh, and P.S. What do you guys think of a Drobo FS as a potential, potential solution for me? Is it fast enough for four video editors accessing data at once? We happen to have a good SAN guy on the line with us right now. So I'm curious, four video editors, how much bandwidth do you think something like that would need? And it, is a single gigabit Ethernet connection going to feed it well? It really all depends on what kind of... Um, I mean, if he's already talking about
1: connecting them via gigabit Ethernet, he's probably okay with 100 megabytes per second-ish for speed. Uh, the problem is, if he has four of them hitting at once, if you just think about that, then that's assuming that to not choke out your your link, just your just your uh, Ethernet itself. Um, right. You're only doing 25 meg per second, which per person, if you're doing, right? If, yeah, per person, right? Um, so if you're doing, it all depends on what kind of video, right? If it's any kind of HD, you're really pushing it
0: there. He says people. low bandwidth video files, so I'm not okay. Not a whole lot of detail there, but. So he probably has a lot of, you know, he, he wants
1: to sand because there's a lot of video to store, but maybe it's not such high quality where that's an issue. Okay, fair right. enough. Um, so if it's that kind of a deal where it's not really crazy bandwidth, then I would actually recommend DroboFS uh, just for simplicity. Uh, because it's just out-of-the-box solution. It, it's a, it can't get much more out of the box than that, especially with DroboFS, right. because that that acts like a NAS right out of the box, and we already know how bulletproof the device is itself. Um, the only concern, really, is just uh, how bulletproof the drives are, right? So realize if you do DroboFS, I would recommend, A, use dual redundancy mode, and B, still have some kind of a backup, really. I mean, I know as, as much as we rant and rave about that thing. Like, uh, I haven't been able to break it, and I've broken almost everything else that I've tested at some point, right? Um, yeah, it still have some kind of a backup regime. But I would use double redundancy and also a little tidbit there, the Drobo FS, and just as of a few days ago, the Drobo Pro as well, mm-hmm. uh, have firmware updates to support three terabyte drives. So you'll have ah, plenty you of room, go. right? And three terabyte drives are not much more then two terabyte as far as, you know, your cost per gig is almost the same now. Um, right. But your density increases quite a bit. Your, so. your, your density increases. Yeah. And, um, and then you can, and then that hit is not as bad when you switch over to dual redundancy. Yes. You still lost two drives worth of space, but you had right. six times three terabytes, you know, worth of capacity there. Cool. Um, Yeah. So uh, other solutions, there's the only other way I would do it is I would roll my own. I, I would, Build it from scratch. I'd buy an Eureka Raid card. I'd buy a, like a Shenbro uh, chassis. Mm. And just for whatever, they make them in any kind of capacity you want. I would just get the Eureka card that fit that many drives. And it's literally plug and play with those chassis. I, I built two of them six months ago. And Now, but what faking. about
0: the SAN software, the SAN side of things on that regard? Uh,
1: if you go that way, then you should do like, well, you could actually do it with Windows 7 if it's a small work group like that with only four users. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could just do Windows 7 and just set it up as like a work group kind of share. Um, the sharing is actually pretty quick on, on Windows 7, especially if okay. all the machines are the same you know, same Windows, you're, you're going to be pretty quick.
0: All right. Worth a shot. You want to jump down here and take this email from Cooper, who's talking about Thermal Paste. Scroll down. Sure. A thermal bit. Paste,
1: remember. Hey, I can actually pipe in on this one too. Um, <laughs> let me start this email with a modified cliche. Love the show, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Okay, anyway, anyway, a few episodes back there question about thermal paste and cleaning it from a CPU. Patrick mentioned using isopropyl alcohol. I've personally found something much easier, fast, and does an amazing job. Orange Glow brand wood polish and conditioner, or Goo Gone. Uh, Not the Goo Off-Brown, off he mentions. One drop will soften and make it extremely easy to remove the oldest, hardest, and crustiest thermal paste. (laughs) will clean up new paste... Uh, where you got too much, et cetera, et cetera. Try it and you will never bother with alcohol again. And I can actually speak to this, uh, not because of those products, but the fact that those two products he mentions are Mm orange-based, and the Arctic Silver cleaning thing that you can get, it's like uh, part one and part two uh, cleaning bottles, which I showed off on the PC Perspective podcast like a month back when we talked about this. Uh, When you use that stuff, the, the main cleaner, the step one, that is obviously an orange based cleaner. I mean, it has like the strongest. It smells orange. citrusy. Yeah, it is complete citrus in a bottle. And, uh-huh. and, and it's the same kind of deal. You, you put a drop on there, and it literally, you can just watch the, you know, it just like re emulsifies and re softens all the, all the thermal paste. And it's, it just makes it.
0: I, I agree. The orange the based stuff's been pretty good. Uh, recently, we've been using this. This is Gugon Extreme uh, with an X. X-T-R-E-M-E, because that means it's awesome. Uh, This is a acetone-based product, um, and it's kind of like an uh, aerosol spray type thing. Uh, And also another good point is it smells like model glue, and that's always a plus. Okay, I'm going to throw out a warning for those. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: First of all, don't spray that thing like straight at your motherboard. No. If you can help it. Take the CPU off, right? Yes. And then... uh, and then B, don't overdo it outside the CPU because that will actually soften the glue that holds the uh, the heat spreader.
0: No, you know, what the, I tend to do is spray it on a, on a towel. You spray it on the towel first. Yes. Yeah, see, there you go. go the, do that, that it's, it's
1: like it's like using a spray bottle of Windex on like your monitor. Do not spray directly on the monitor. Exactly. Spray on, on the, your yes, TV. Do that because that stuff will That stuff will instantly melt uh, even the conformal coating on PCBs. Right, So that's nice. that coating that keeps all the conductors from corroding over time and the solder right. pads from,
0: uh, from uh, rusting. Yeah. Keeps that stuff away from that. Yeah. Just be careful. <laughs> uh, we've got an email from Dave about lighted screens. Way back in the day, I had an HP Jornada Pocket PC PDA. Wow, it's going back. It had a backlit LCD screen that was also reflective. The more light you put on the screen, the brighter it got. In direct sunlight, it was really bright, Almost hard to look at. How come Apple didn't do anything like that with the iPad screen? Is there some lost technology that people have forgotten about, or is there some big downside to this technology? Or am I just being sentimental and remembering it as better than it was? Boy, Sonny, those were good old days. I know the answer. Uh, Do you? Real quick, I'll say I have a a golf GPS device that uses one of these types of screens that when you shut, when it gets, when direct sunlight is hitting it, that's when you can see it the best. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that's when you're in low light situations, it's much harder to see. So those are actually, um, it it has to be a very
1: weak kind of a TN based LCD to -hmm. be able to do that where the sunlight can come in and reflect and come back off the back like that. Right. Um, so, and, and, and you have all the downsides that you would have to just a regular twisted pneumatic. So a TN panel is actually nothing more than a bunch of what you would find in your LCD based watch that kind of a simple technology, mm, okay. right? The only Makes difference to... is that it's just much smaller and they just put different color pixels behind each one of those segments. But the, the principle is exactly the same, right? And just like how when you twist your old school LCD watch a few degrees the wrong way, the whole panel uh-huh. just like blanks out on you. Those panels do the same kind of thing, right? right. And, um, and the other weakness to it is the color is nowhere near as rich, as you will that's, get, that's out that. Is,
0: of, yes, that is exactly correct, and it's very noticeable on that GPS device that I have. Uh, right. That it does so, have
1: duller colors. Yeah, so your your off axis is horrible, and, and your um, you know, and, and and it would be so bad, literally. Like if they put something like that into an iPad or an iPhone, if you put the display sideways, you would your one eye would have like a, a different set of colors than the other eye would. It would be that bad just nice. from that slight bit of an angle difference. So. Yeah, just too many, too many downsides to pull it off. It's great that you don't need a backlight in those situations. That would be awesome. But yeah. um, it's, it's almost a moot point nowadays because you have LED backlighting and that's pretty very, low power very efficient. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, you want to take our last email from Jeff?
1: All right, email from Jeff about three terabyte RAID cards. I'm trying to convert an old Athlon 64 into a NAS box, but it only has two serial ATA ports. If I were to install a RAID card, would that device be able to support three terabyte hard drives? And if so, could you recommend a card? Okay, um, I can't give you a definitive answer that would cover just the huge swath of um, all Raid card brands mm-hmm. on the market. Uh, I will say that I know that Aureka supports three terabytes because I've been able to plug one in and actually use it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's sketchy elsewhere, right? So you, you, uh, definite buyer beware. You're buying a Raid card. It's going to be several hundred dollars. It's an expensive piece of hardware, right? Especially if you get a decent one. Um, make sure it has both driver and hardware support for that. It has to say it somewhere, right? Um, And be careful how you're reading those specs, because a RAID card itself can appear to the system in a higher bit LBA mode, like 48-bit LBA, where it's actually able to to present a volume greater than 2 terabytes to the operating system. That is a completely different animal than the card being able to read a drive that's you know, supporting greater than two terabytes worth of LBAs. I see.
0: Itself, now, right? Did, so it's, didn't the first Western Digital Drives come out with uh, an HBA card? They came out with a, a like a generic HBA.
1: It was just an add-on card. And that card, it wasn't a RAID. It wasn't any kind of RAID card. It was just mm, a generic okay, host, okay. host bus. Yeah. HBA is just host bus adapter. So it's right. not even meant to be uh, powerful enough to be a RAID. Um, gotcha. But yes, uh, th- I would probably say that your vast majority of any kind of RAID card that has like an XOR engine on it, the kind that actually has a CPU built onto it, like an IOP something chip, IOP3 something something, it'll be like a three-digit number. Um, Any of those most likely are going to support greater than two terabyte on the hard drive side. Uh, You just actually, you know, do do that five minutes of research. uh, Download the manual for that guy. See if it actually says it in the specs, that sort of thing. It should say something. Look at the last mm. firmware update. That's actually, I sure. never buy any kind of RAID card. And this is a good practice for almost anything that's firmware updatable. Always pull, download that last firmware update. See what the date of it is. See if it it's recent. And look <sighs> at the change notes, right? Because the right. change notes, chances are that last change is, is doing that thing that you just wanted to find out if it does anyway. Because, you know, they would change it because their market's looking for it, right?
0: Yep, Agree. Um, so that's going to that's gonna wrap up this week in computer hardware for this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining on the live stream. If you want to watch us record this show live, we do so every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, again, if you want to get in touch with us, we, we encourage you. Please send your emails. Please send us your questions. Twitch at twit.tv is the email address for that. Alan, I'd like to thank you once again for joining us and filling in for Patrick. My pleasure. Uh, so with that, I'm Ryan Straut, and we'll see you next week on Twitch.